0: Last Thursday at sundown, in the nation of Israel and around the world, Jews began to celebrate a thing called Hanukkah, and that will continue on through Friday of this next week. It is an interesting thing what Hanukkah represents. There is a great deal of confusion that surrounds it, particularly in Christianity, Because it is so closely connected on the calendar to Christmas, a number of Christians believe that Hanukkah is simply the Jewish celebration of Jesus. That is not the case at all. In fact, couldn't be further from the truth. It is a lot different than that, yet there are some really cool parts to the celebration of Hanukkah. I mentioned it just a little bit last week in the message and had a lot of questions about Hanukkah over the course of the week and the details that surround what happened during that time. So as I was answering those, I just thought we ought to circle back on it this morning and take a little bit of a closer look at what Hanukkah really is. But boil it down, this is what it's all about. It is for the Jewish people to celebrate God's protection and His provision. During that time when the Greeks were ruling the Holy Land, Antiochus was a horrible leader. Went so far as to sacrifice a pig on the altar of God. And that's what caused the uprising. And so this group of rebels that had already agreed not to participate in the things that the Greeks were wanting them to participate in said, we're going to take the temple back. We are going to cleanse it and we are going to bring it back to Jewish worship. And they revolted against Antiochus, and they were successful. They were successful. Man with a a nickname, Judas the Hammer, is the one who led that revolt with a very small band of others known as the Maccabees. And they were able to take the temple back and get it back to what it should have been in the first place. When they retook the temple, they needed light in order to cleanse the temple, and they wanted to get the candles burning again, the ceremonial candles, but they only had one jar of oil. That's what you saw. They had to have the high priest bless the oil that would be used in those lamps. They only had enough for one day. It would take eight days to get enough to keep that light burning the way that it needed to. And God miraculously made that work through the one jar of oil that they had left. That's the celebration of Hanukkah. The candelabra or the menorah that you see, all the candles that are in there, each one of them is a reminder of how God sustained them for those eight days. Pretty cool celebration. What most people don't realize, (coughs) particularly in Western Christianity, is that those lights, the celebration of it, Hanukkah itself, is not a major festival in Judaism. In fact, it is considered one of the minor festivals and celebrations. But we see it, because of Christmas, as one of the most prominent. And so we believe it to be something that it is not. Now let's take that video and let me show you 17 things that you might not know about the celebration of Hanukkah. Here you go. We'll go through them real fast. Number one, it is also known as the Festival of Lights. Number two, the holiday celebrates a Jewish military victory. We just talked about that. Number three, Hanukkah lasts for eight nights to commemorate how long the holy light burned. Number four, a candle is lit each night of the holiday. Number five, menorahs come in all different shapes and sizes. They just have eight candles. Number six, the menorah is lit every night after sundown. Number seven, gifts were not always given for Hanukkah. In the beginning, they would give candy wrapped in gold paper as a way of showing how God provides for his people. That was the normal gift that was given. Then the Jewish people started giving money to one another to celebrate Hanukkah, and then because of how closely it is connected to Christmas and the United States, today the normal practice is the giving of gifts. But that's where it came from. It was just a morphing of what had already been there. Number eight, Hanukkah dishes are fried for a reason. Oh, I like that one a lot. A lot. Number eight, Harry Truman was the first president to celebrate Hanukkah at the White House. Real quick, here's the history of that David Ben Gurion was the first prime minister of Israel. He received that title and that role in 1948 after Israel became a nation. In 1953, he gifted Harry Truman, our president, with a menorah. He took the menorah into the White House, put the candles in it, and he was the first one to light a menorah in the White House. That's the history of that and how it all came about. Number 10, there is no wrong way to spell Hanukkah. You will see it spelled several different ways. Chelsea and I were talking about this before worship began this morning. It is spelled a lot of different ways and none of them are wrong. Because the original language, all those sounds do not easily translate to English. So no spelling of Hanukkah is wrong. We have some English teachers in here that might disagree. This is one of those times you could red pen them and say, nope, I'm right. Number 11. The famous dreidel or four-sided spinning top was invented as a distraction. You saw that at the beginning of that video. That's a dreidel. It's a four-sided top that was used, as this said, as a distraction, but not for the Jewish people. It was used as a distraction against the Greek armies, because Antiochus, the ruler at that time, had outlawed the Jewish worship of Jehovah God, said that all of their practices were illegal. So they created the four-sided dreidel, put symbols on each side of it, and then they would spin it. When it fell, one of those symbols would be very visible, very obvious, and they had the opportunity to talk about spiritual things that were tied to their faith. But the Greek people, particularly the military, had no idea what it was. They just thought it was a toy. It was a toy with a much deeper meaning. That's the spinning of the dreidel. Number 12, this one is my favorite. Millions of jelly donuts are consumed in Israel and around the world throughout Hanukkah. And are you ready for this? Right next to it, apple fritters. Apple fritters and jelly donuts. They even have their own special name for those two donuts. I can't pronounce it, so it's not up there. But they have their own name for it. Reason is they're fried, they're fried in oil. Remember the fried foods issue? Most of their food during the eight day celebration of Hanukkah is fried food, fried in oil, as a reminder that God provided the oil for eight days. So, one of the great parts of their celebration apple fritters and jelly donuts. I like it. Number 13, Jews all around the world have different Hanukkah traditions, and that is all right. Number 14, the word Hanukkah comes from the Hebrew word hinuk or to teach. Number 15, Hanukkah's impact on pop culture is much smaller than Christmas, but there are still a few notable moments. Most of those come from Hollywood. Number 16, the world's largest menorah is in New York. Number 17, Hanukkah doesn't fall on the same days every year. It follows the Jewish calendar, not our calendar. And that's why Hanukkah is always different. But it is always celebrated after sundown, and it lasts for eight days. There are some special things about this minor festival. Even though it is not a major celebration in the Jewish faith, there is still a lot that we can learn from it. Just as there is a lot that we can learn from our Jewish brothers and sisters And what I really want us to focus on this morning are some of the lessons that we can learn from them that surround things like festivals, feasts, and celebrations, because they go about it completely different than we do, and God told them to do that. Why don't you join me in the book of Leviticus? It's a strange place to go during the Christmas season, but hang with me, we'll bring it all around. Leviticus chapter 23 I'm going to start in verse 39. On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a solemn rest, and on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest, And you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Though thus Moses declared to the people of Israel the appointed feast of the Lord. I want you to pay close attention to what's going on in chapter 23. So just turn back a page or two and look at the titles that sit over the sections of your Bible, starting with, feast of the Lord. Then you go into the Sabbath, the Passover, the feast of first fruits, the feast of weeks, the feast of trumpets, the day of atonement, and then the feast of booths. Now here's the interesting thing. Throughout the Old Testament, there are seven official festivals, seven official feasts that God gave to his people, to the Israelites, the Jewish people. Seven feasts that are all designed to help them rest and celebrate. You saw in the one that we looked at for the Feast of Booths how serious God was about it. This is going to last seven days, but the first day is supposed to be a day of rest. The last day is to be a day of rest. Not just a day of rest, but of solemn rest. As if God is saying, not only do I want you to take a break from working... But I want you on the first day to get as much rest as you can because the next five days, you're going to celebrate with your best, not what's left over. I want your best. So rest up and be ready. And then God says on the last day of this celebration, I want you to have a day of solemn rest again so that you're ready to go back to work because you wore yourself out celebrating between that first day of rest and the last day of rest this was a big deal all of these celebrations and feasts were a big deal and there's a couple of points that go with them the first one you may not realize all seven of those feasts direct people to Jesus the coming Messiah as the Jewish people would say All seven of those feasts direct people to Christ. I really like the way the Wycliffe Bible translators say this. Take a look. The richness of God's Word is that it often reveals a deeper truth. For the Jews of His time, understanding the Old Testament was key to discovering that Jesus is their promised Messiah. And if you have heard the good news from the New Testament and received Jesus as your Savior... Old Testament prophecies and symbolism provide further proof and assurance that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. The editors of the Wycliffe Study Bible want us to understand, and that's where that comes from, they want us to understand that some of these things in the Old Testament have a deeper meaning than just what you see in Old Testament application. In the case of these feasts and festivals, They're about getting us ready to know that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Savior. If you want to study that more, you can get into all seven of those feasts and you'll see what part of the coming Messiah they help focus on. They all have a purpose. They all have a purpose. Now, one of those other purposes is rest, taking a break from work. Now, this may be kind of crazy for you to wrap your mind around, but stay with me. If you take all seven of those feasts and then you put it together with the command for Sabbath rest, you may do your work on six days, but on the seventh day you must rest, command of God. He called it holy. If you put all of the Sabbath days together with all of the feast, here's what you will find out. In the Jewish calendar, there is no less then 80, listen, 80 days of rest. Take a break from work. Take a break from rest. Celebrate where appropriate and necessary and needed. 80 days. Can you imagine? 80 days throughout the course of the year that are set aside for rest and celebration. But it gets better. If you add in... Days like Hanukkah and the celebration of Purim, the festival of Purim. And then you put together wedding feasts and birthday celebrations, both of which are very important to God. That number goes north of 90. 90 days a year that you are to to rest from work and focus on who God is and celebrate Him. 90 days a year. Could you imagine? That is is remarkable. That is remarkable. 90 days that God said, if you will honor me and you will do this, I'll make you productive at everything else. So you just stop and celebrate. You stop and worship. Pause and worship. And watch what I can do. Oh, there's a lot that goes with these celebrations, with these feasts. One of the other things that we realize very quickly is that celebration matters to God. Matters in the biggest of ways. That's why he would set things like this aside. Now, I don't want you to fall into the trap of believing that Jesus came so that we would only celebrate. And I don't want you to fall into the trap of believing that God says that once we become a believer or we become one of his children, that life will be nothing but smooth sailing. That's not the case at all. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus makes this statement. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We are going to struggle. Some translations say, rather than tribulation, we will have trials. In this world, you're going to have trials. There are going to be some struggles, but you're going to need celebration To help you get through those, Jesus promises that he'll walk through them with us, but celebration becomes the balancing part of the struggles and the trials. And if we can adopt an attitude, an air of celebration and of worship, it will balance out the struggles that we have to deal with. Imagine, just imagine what it would be like If everybody in the church embraced things like 90 days of celebrating who God is, our countenance would be different. The look on our face would be different. It's as if through all of these celebrations, God is saying, turn a light on in the midst of troubles and trials and tribulation. Turn a light on by learning how to celebrate. I like how Randy Alcorn says this. How much different it would be if people looked at the church less as a group of always critical, always complaining, always feeling persecuted, bunch of curmudgeons. And sometimes we can project that image to the world, no doubt. We can also project it even to our children growing up in Christian homes. They hear what mom and dad are saying and the critical spirit and the complaining and the ingratitude and that sort of thing. But what if we as believers were known as the people of celebration and gladness, the place of feasting. What if we took that Old Testament idea of celebration, of feasting and of festivals, and applied it to our life in Christ? Oh, things would change. The light of of God's love would shine for everyone. There is not a better time of year than Christmas than to try to adopt that very belief. So let's take a look at at how we might do that. We're going to go back to the Gospel of John. We were there last week. John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Listen to what the Apostle says one more time. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, that's Jesus. And the Word was God, that's Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Boy, as we carry that attitude around with us that Randy Alcorn was talking about, it's just like darkness is everywhere. But what if, and this is what he was putting forward, what if the light was on? And it should be, because Jesus came into the world, the light should be shining in the hearts and the lives of his children. In fact, a very literal translation of verse 5 that we just looked at looks like this. And the light keeps on shining in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it or understood it. What would the world see if the church, made up of all the believers in Christ, were shining the light of the love of God through his Son? All the time, all the time. It'd be an amazing thing. And you might say, well, we try to do that at Christmas time, and, and I believe that's true. There are a lot of folks who believe that we can just tell people that Jesus is the reason for the season. We might do that in person or might put a, a post on Facebook making that type of a declaration. Jesus is the reason for the season. We want people to know that. But if anybody ever questioned you on what that really means, There are a lot of folks in Christianity that would struggle to explain it. So I want to give you a way of explaining it that might help the light shine. I'm going to ask Tina to come up and help me with this. She's going to go to Romans chapter 8. I'm having a little bit of trouble with my voice, so I'm just going to have her rescue me. She was sitting on the front row knowing this was coming. (laughs) So we're going to go to Romans chapter 8 together. If you want to turn there, she's going to read the entire chapter for us you hang with us as we go through this Romans chapter eight. Tina, read for us
1: there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord.
0: All right. Thank you very much. Even as Tina has a very wonderful reading voice and she is easy to listen to, Romans chapter 8, when it is read just like that, still sounds really, really biblical. And it is full of all kinds of theological and doctrinal things that make it hard for people to be able to focus on it. But here's what I want you to know. If you break that passage down, you will find all kinds of things about a relationship with Jesus Christ that will help you embrace turning the light on in your life and celebrating Him, particularly around Christmas time. So I broke it down. Now, this is a Bible study technique. When you read a passage like this that's hard to understand, if you will outline it, it will become much easier to wrap your mind around. So I outlined it, broke it down and outlined it, and came up with 17 reasons from Romans chapter 8 to help us celebrate this Christmas. See what I did there with the 17? Wow, I really thought that was going to do better. First service, just crashed and burned too. Remember 17 things you didn't know about Hanukkah we showed you before? All right, well, I tried. Here's 17 reasons from Romans 8 to help us celebrate this Christmas. We're going to go through them really fast. Take a look. Number one, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's verse one. Number two, in Jesus I have been set free from sin and death. Verse two. Number three, God sent his son to do for me what nothing and no one else could. Verse three. Number four, Jesus changes the things I think about. Verses five through six. Five, because of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in me. That's verses 9 and 11. Six, I am now pleasing to God, verses 8 through 11. Seven, God has adopted me, verse 15. Eight, I am an heir in the kingdom of God, verse 16. Nine, I have great hope in the things to come, verse 18. Ten, all creation will be redeemed along with me, verse 23. Eleven, the Spirit is interceding for me in God's presence, verse 26. 12, Christ himself is interceding for me, verse 34. 13, God is working all things for good in my life, verse 28. 14, since God is for me, there is no fear, verse 31. 15, I am more than a conqueror because of Jesus, verse 37. 16, if God gave us his son, what other good things does he long to give us, verse 32. And number 17, because of Jesus, nothing will separate me from the love of God, which is in his son Christ. Verses 35 and 38 through 39. 17 reasons to celebrate Jesus, to put him in the center of our season. 17 ways to explain why Jesus is the reason for this season. 17 different ways to let the light shine in your life. And if we will focus on those things, it has the ability to change our attitude. It has the ability to change the way we are seen and perceived by those around us, especially those outside of Christ. Seventeen things that will change your countenance as if the light has begun to shine through you in the midst of darkness. Seventeen things about Jesus that help center our hearts and our minds on who He is. And it ought to change our conversation. Now, if you're not sure what that would look like, let me leave you with a challenge from John Ortberg. Particularly for this time of year, this is really good. It's an easy one. Well, it's easy to hear. Maybe not as easy to practice. But if we will, what we may find out is that it will completely, totally change the way you present Christ to those around you. Here it is. Tomorrow, when you greet people, begin your conversation with a little complaint. The Bible calls that grumbling. It might be a complaint about something in your life, your health, your job, money problems, the fact that you don't have a spouse, the fact that you have the spouse you have. It might be something about the person you're greeting. You don't like how they're dressed, or you just don't like their personality, or maybe you're jealous. Just greet a friend or colleague with something like, man, did I have a horrible night's sleep. He does go on to say, I'd be thrilled if you couldn't think of anything, but most people can. So tomorrow, be a grumbler. Then on Tuesday, try to greet people with a word of gratitude. I hope this is a lot easier for you than yesterday's assignment. Think about something you're genuinely grateful for. Your family, a friend, your health, your job, the weather, your church. It might sound something like this. Wow, on a morning like this? It just feels good to be alive, doesn't it? Watch the responses you get. It will be as if the light is turned on when you walk into a room because you're carrying the light of God's love with you. See how it can change your countenance, your perspective, your attitude? All by changing your conversation. And you change your conversation by focusing on what God has done for you through His Son, Jesus Christ. Adopt an attitude of celebration surrounding that and watch what the Lord does with it. The light will come on. Why don't you stand and we'll pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for coming into the world. Thank you for coming into darkness and bringing light. Most of all, Lord, thank you for being that light. For Christians, as as we embrace the fact that we have you living within us, our simple hearts desires that that light would shine and be visible to those around us. So I pray it will. For those that have not yet seen it, or experienced you, I pray Lord that they will this Christmas season and the light will come on for them and it will shine brightly, you will shine brightly. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen.